Uh, welcome to RCR Podcast number 121, Roman and you. Uh, I'm Nick, or the Roman, whichever one. And uh, I was originally going to call this Every High School Has a Sea Bass, because realistically, I feel like every high school does have somebody whose nickname is Sea Bass. My high school did, uh, a, a couple of friends' high schools did. It's just kind of weird. Uh, one of those running gags that everyone kind of has to put up with at some point. Not that there's anything wrong with having the nickname Seabass. It's just everybody's called Seabass for different reasons. Some people, it's because their last name maybe sort of sounds like it. Or other people, it's kind of like they're, I don't know, maybe they have some sort of like a fishing fetish thing going on. Uh, in the background are a bunch of... Um, Pontiac Hot Wheels uh, that my girlfriend got me. I would go and fetch them right now, but I am very lazy. I was at the gym and uh, I feel like getting up requires a lot of effort. And so that's basically where I'm at in terms of that. Uh, I just, I'm not in a great position to be moving around a whole lot uh which is funny because brian and i were filming today and it was a very interesting shoot because it's a car that people have wanted us to do for a very very long time and in the grand scheme of things i mean i'm kind of surprised that it took us as long as it has to get a hold of one of these and it is a review where we can go full negative with permission from the owner because it's important for us to be able to get permission from the owner when we are doing a 100% negative review in order to sort of uh make it clear that we're not making fun of that specific owner. What's interesting about this one is that there is a sort of um, a roasting component where Brian sort of, you know, roasts the owner, but that was with the approval of the owner who also contributed some jokes to it. So it was very interesting in that regard. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's one of those things where people don't realize a lot of the time that, um, yes, Brian and I write both write the scripts. Uh, it's 50, 50 basically, but the, uh, trade-off is that the, the driving impressions are always Brian. I'll drive the car. Um, because it's for my own edification in terms of writing, but, I, mm, I, I, I just can't talk about those handling dynamics and everything as intelligently as Brian can. And so the other big issue with me being the one to write those impressions is that I enjoy everything. I like everything. <laughs> That's my problem is that when people ask like, what's the worst car I've ever driven? And I don't have an answer because I like cars even the worst ones i really enjoy because there was a time where i wasn't able to drive all these different cars and even the bad ones give me some type of knowledge something to learn and the thing is, is that there's no meaningful difference for me between what is a high performance car and what's a really shit car because for me it's almost like form and function are intermingled so that you know, the high that you get from driving a really good car is the same high that you get from 
I don't know, uh, arriving somewhere safe and sound at a destination of wherever you're heading. Like for me, safety is a big deal. And the idea that I could get somewhere, um, uh, without necessarily, you know, something that I, I guess I'm not explaining myself really well, which is also why I don't really talk about the driving impressions, but, um, all right. I have a, uh, I guess to wrap up that point is that I appreciate cars because it, they're more to me than how they perform basically more or less, but also there are times at which you have to be honest about what the car is relative to what it does so that even if I enjoy it at a superficial level, I have to delve deeper in order to explore what its actual utility is because, you know, in some sense, that's kind of what we do. It's we're trying to figure out why these cars matter at all. Uh, and you can't do that if you just automatically adopt the approach that everything is good and everything is the same. Sameness accomplishes nothing. Uh, car foolery, $5. Thank you so much for the contribution. I was not actually expecting to get any super chats tonight. Um, but I appreciate it so much. Um, hey, Nick, how is Red Betty? I really appreciate you sticking it out with that car. I feel the same way about my MR2. I wish we got more updates. Um, yeah, I mean, I should update more, but for the most part, there isn't really that much to say. I mean, I take her in for scheduled maintenance and necessary maintenance. And part of that involved uh, most recently this month, maybe a few weeks back, um, I got, uh, oh God, now I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it, it had to do with um, is brake fluid and, you know, an alignment and other stuff. Um, there was a piece of, whoa, my eh, voice is going wonky. Um, a piece of something had fallen down into see, I, I can't even explain. I should bring up the report uh, if I have it, but I'm not sure I still do. Ah, report, report, report. This most recent one. Um, check inspection, uh, tire wear check, blah, 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 blah. Bring lifeline and press it hard, blah, 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 blah. Reverend, blah, 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 blah. That's not the right one. Still looking for the right one. Looking for the right one. Yeah, doing everything, doing everything you like. Looking over things and stuff. I don't know if it's any part enough. Yeah. All right, well. Maybe it's in my book bag. I don't know. But basically, it was just break stuff and, um, you know, pieces of stuff. Like, for instance, I lost my uh, hubcap. Uh, it was funny because I don't know where or how I lost it. It's just gone. And, well, it's literally just the the little piece in the center with the Mustang on it. So it's not even like the whole cap is gone. It's just that little decorative piece. And I'm really annoyed, um, but not annoyed enough to do anything about it. You know what I mean? 
And, uh, and I guess there was like the, uh, going back to the little piece of metal or whatever it was that uh, was hanging down and scraping loose. And, and they just, you know, my mechanics got rid of it. Um, I know this sounds really sketch because I don't actually remember because the thing is, is that I don't know that it's necessarily anything that is um, diagnosable, but my ability to actually retain things short term is garbage because the minute something is resolved, I kind of discard it in my head so that I can move on to the next thing that demands my energy and thought. So this is kind of how I keep the ball rolling in my own life. And you can, that's what notebooks are for. Exactly. Like if I were smart, I'd be keeping a notebook about these things, but I'm not. So this is what I'm doing. Um, yeah, but, um, what else to talk about? All right. So I was, uh, doing some research on the next RCR story. Um, not entirely sure 100% what it's going to be about. Uh, but I, I'll, all right, just because you guys are here and, you know, actually came here to hang out with me, I guess I'll tell you that, um, I'm thinking of, uh, doing the next RCR story on Preston Tucker. And the reason is because it's a very interesting story, but in the way that a lot of RCR stories will start in the early 20th century and then come up to the modern day, this one doesn't. It kind of gets to the mid 20th century and a little bit farther, but then it ends. And the idea of it is that it has everything that you could possibly want in a sort of piece of automotive history. It's got crime. It's got tragedy it's got history it's got there's so much going on and it's such a dense story um i don't have any notes written yet to be able to give you a short version of this so i suppose i would just implore you to wait for the video to come out which i don't know when that will be but i promise it will not be as long as it took for sob to come out because this is obviously going to be a shorter video the personality profiles all are and you know, it's funny because one of the reasons that RCR stories come a little bit easier for me is because it's already tapping into something that I'm interested in, uh, which is automotive history and true crime type things. And talking about these scandals and what went wrong, how and when. And with Preston Tucker, I feel like that will exercise every muscle. But the end point of it is that I don't, they don't do as well as the personality profiles don't do as well as life and death of automakers. And so there are other automakers that I could do that are like Holden or Oldsmobile or Saturn. And then I realize that a lot of them have the same ending as other RCR life and death of automaker stories so that, you know, if I were to do one of those other brands that GM killed, you know, yeah, maybe it would do numbers in the sense that maybe people who would watch that and get drawn in by it didn't see the other ones. But if you had seen the other ones, it would be redundant, 
because it's all leading to the same place. And the only utility that it would have is documenting the history of the brand, but also the utility is making people angrier at GM for killing these brands, which is funny in itself because I do have an abandoned RCR story that I completely forgot about. And I have like, how many pages of this do I have? Let's see. Okay, so I basically have a page of it, and it is, um, it was from around the time that uh, Ford v Ferrari was coming out, and I figured, well, let me ride that train on the algorithm. And what subject I kind of chose was, um, let's see, I called it RCR stories, uh, Ford versus Holden, the war to settle the score. So I'll just read a bit of it for you here. And um, if anyone adds any super chats, then uh, I will get to those. Um, prologue. Audi versus Peugeot. Ferrari versus Lamborghini. Prost versus Senna. BMW versus Mercedes-Benz. Hunt versus Lauda. WRX versus the Court of Public Opinion. All great automotive rivalries, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention all the companies coming after Ford, both past and present. You've got Chrysler, pretty much the whole of General Motors, and any other company operating within the continental United States that hopes to sell any kind of pickup truck whatsoever. But as far as mainstream rivalries go, one of the more overlooked for Ford is its rivalry with former GM subsidiary Holden an Australian automobile manufacturer and importer based out of Port Melbourne in the state of Victoria. The Ford versus Holden rivalry can largely be condensed down to the competition between the Ford Falcon and the Holden Commodore. Maybe condensed is the wrong word. The rivalry is about a lot more than the animus between two companies as filtered through the lens of two cars that are emblematic of their respective manufacturers. It grew out of personal hostilities, competitive friction in the world of automotive sports, and the battle for consumers waged in dealerships and print media and goodness only knows how many other places. The idea that this is even something I have occasion to talk about now speaks to the enmity that exists between Ford and Holden. I don't know how many people are willing to go full on and declare this a legendary automotive rivalry, but then that's the kind of point of the whole documentary we're doing here to investigate what exactly were the root causes of the rivalry and the extent to which it staked a claim in automotive history at large. And no, this isn't meant to be a continuation of RCR New Zealand. I picked this as a subject for the next RCR stories before we even left. But the reason this took so damn, damn long to come out, he says about a video that has never come out and probably never will were all covered in my winter and New Zealand diaries, respectively, and don't really need to be rehashed here. I don't know why I'm explaining that in this. Either way, I'm down for keeping this preamble shorter than the other ones, again, as I ramble on forever. So let's take a trip down under and see if we can't get to the bottom of what this rivalry is really about. This is RCR Stories, Ford versus Holden, The War to Settle the Score. Chapter 1. If you want to trace the Ford-Holden rivalry back to a specific point in time, I would suppose that the best way to do that is to go way the hell back to the 19th century. You see, when James Alexander Holden left England and made the move to Adelaide in South Australia, 
he established J.A. Holden and Company, the primary purpose of which was the manufacture of saddles, along with stirrups, bridles, halters, reins, bits, and harnesses, and all that other good stuff you need to ride a horse. Now, by 1879, Holden's son, Henry James, not the writer who did Portrait of a Lady, but great book, if you ever get the chance to read it, uh, he went by the nickname H.J. Holden. Uh, okay, let me just restart. Now, by 1879, Holden's son, Henry James, or H.J. Holden, had become a partner and took a more active role in managing his father's company, so that six short years later, in 1885, he was able to bring in a German-born businessman by the name of H.A. Frost into the company. J.A. Holden and Company became Holden and Frost Limited. But it wasn't until Edward Holden, J.A.'s grandson, joined the company in 1905 that attention turned from horse supplies to automobiles. I gotta take this off, it's very hot in here. Uh, since Edward could see the writing on the wall in the way his father and grandfather couldn't. Granted, when the company began its move towards automotives, they started out pretty small, focusing largely on repairing upholstery and placing new bodies on older chassis in, and uh, no, here I spelled older, oldier, which kind of sounds like could have been a, you know, a version of older if you're like seven years old. Uh, so they focused largely on, ugh, I'll start the sentence over. Granted, when the company began its move towards automotives, they started off pretty small, focusing largely on repairing upholstery and placing new bodies on older chassis that they produced, bleh, that they purchased. This is why RCR stories take so long, besides the stop and start, that they purchased for a steal from FT Hack and Company. By 1913, the Holden and Frost Limited began manufacturing motorcycle sidecars. Four years later, they were building vehicle body shells. And by the end of the fiscal year 1917, H.J. Holden created Holden's Motor Body Builders Limited, officially registering the company on February 25th, 1919. And on the, anytime there's a date, I would probably throw up one of those freeze frames where it has a whole bunch of factoids about who was born on February 25th, who died on February 25th, who, what these important historical things happened February 25th. So just imagine I did that. Before long, they had a four-story factory of their own, which allowed them to produce 12,000 units per year. In addition, Holden helped assemble bodies for the recently established Ford Motor Company of Australia until they could finish building their plant in Geelong, or Geelong, about 47 miles southwest of Melbourne. As Holden's reputation grew within Australia and the demand for cars increased, they attracted the attention of international automakers, particularly General Motors. In 1924, GM hired Holden to become their exclusive supplier of car bodies for their Australia operation through a plant built in the nearby town of Woodville, itself a suburb of Adelaide, where Holden was based at the time. But it wouldn't be long before the GM operation expanded throughout the country, with General Motors Australia erecting assembly plants at Newstead, Queensland, Merrickville, Merrickville in New South Wales, along with plants in Melbourne, Birkenhead, and the Western Australian town of Cottesloe. Cottesloe? 
a suburb of Perth. This allowed GM to get a leg up on Ford's Australian operation, as they contracted Holden to produce the bodies while they came through with imported CKD chassis. In this case, a CKD is a complete knockdown kit, which collects the necessary parts into an idiot-proof package, which is then exported to the place where the final product is assembled. It was a healthy business exchange for both GM and Holden, and even though Holden's numbers took a nosedive during the Great Depression, moving, going from moving 34,000 units per year to less than 2,000, with the exact number being 1,651 units, General Motors still saw the value in having a piece of the Holden pie. And so they purchased Holden in 1931 and merged them with the GM Australia uh, contingent, creating General Motors Holden's Limited, or GMH. And the rest is pretty much history. As for Ford, their automotive operations in Australia date back to well before the GM Holden merger as the Model T was offered as early as 1925 in local markets. Hell, it's been argued that Ford Australia pretty much invented the, oh, did I, oh, G-Long. J-Long? G-Long? There we go. Um, I was reading the chat there, if you're listening to this after the fact, about the pronunciation of G-Long. Uh, but yeah. As for Ford, their automotive blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I lost my spot. As for Ford, their automotive operations in Australia date back to well before the GM Holden merger, as the Model T was offered as early as 1925 in local markets. Hell, it's been argued that Ford Australia pretty much invented the coupe utility vehicle in the form of the Model A American Ford closed cab pickup truck, the alleged brainchild of Ford engineer Lewis Brandt, or Lewis Bant possibly also Louis Bant. See, I, I didn't do the pronunciation lookups yet. So um, the car was said to be born of the depression era necessity of getting working vehicles to working men, since banks weren't exactly handing out credit to farmers for regular passenger cars at the time, although banks would compromise by giving credit towards the purchase of a work vehicle. And so the coupe utility provided farmers with a car that helped them get shit done, but also allowed them to drive to the store or to church or to wherever the hell it was that people went in the 1930s when they weren't working, which appeared to be whenever they had the chance. And that's all I wrote. So sorry to kind of blue ball you there. I think I realize now why I didn't finish it, which is to say that it is very... Um, meandering i suppose it seems like i don't really have a hold on what story i want to tell with it like there's no real shape to it and i would like to think that it would actually take shape over time but i can't actually guarantee that that would um in any way you know change anything um because i i mean there is only so much that i can do um Hang on, sorry. I'm I'm doing the simultaneous like reading the chat as I'm doing things. So I see that I have a super chat here, so I got to get to it. Boris T.S. Karloff, $5. Thank you so much. I love the education lesson last podcast. Please pick up your nearest book and read some of page 34 and educate us about it. Thank you, Roman. All right, so let me check what my nearest book is that I could uh, do something about. Uh, uh, um... East of 
All right, let me uh, pick from my favorite book of all time, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Um, it's neck and neck with Sister Carrie. I don't know what we're going to get from page 34. Um, I don't even know what to even say, but it is the start of chapter four. And so, you know, let's... Uh, um, but yeah, let's see. Charles stood at the bar in the village inn, and Charles was laughing delightedly at the funny stories the night-stranded drummers were telling. He got out his tobacco sack with its meager jingle of silver and bought the men a drink to keep them talking. He stood and grinned and rubbed his split knuckles, and when the drummers, accepting his drink, raised their glasses and said, here's to you, Charles was delighted. He ordered another drink for his friends, and then he joined them for some kind of deviltry in another place. When Cyrus stumped out into the night, he was filled with a kind of despairing anger at Charles. He looked on the road for his son, and he went to the inn to look for him, but Charles was gone. It is probable that if he had found him that night, he would have killed him, or tried to. The direction of a big act will warp history, but probably all acts do the same in their degree, down to a stone stepped over in the path, or a breath caught at sight of a pretty girl, or a fingernail nicked in the garden soil. Naturally, it was not long before Charles was told that his father was looking for him with a shotgun. He hid out for two weeks, and when he finally did return, murder had sunk back to simple anger, and he paid his penalty in overwork and a false theatrical humility. Adam lay four days in bed, so stiff and aching that he could not move without a groan. On the third day, his father gave evidence of his power with the military. He did it as a poultice to his own pride and also as a kind of prize for Adam. Into the house, into Adam's bedroom, came a captain of cavalry and two sergeants in dress uniform of blue. In the dooryard, their horses were held by two privates. Lying in his bed, Adam was enlisted in the army as a private in the cavalry. He signed the Articles of War and took the oath while his father and Alice looked on, and his father's eyes glistened with tears. After the soldiers had gone, his father sat with him a long time. I put you in the cavalry for a reason, he said. Barrack life is not a good life for long, but the cavalry has work to do. I made sure of that. You'll like going for the Indian country. There's action coming. I can't tell you how I know. There's fighting on the way. Yes, sir, Adams said. And so, okay, basically, um, it's it's <laughs> there's nothing to talk about because it, it's so dense that page 34 like yes it's the start of a chapter but it's not the same as like reading leaves of grass because you need all sorts of other context so what i would say is that with east of eden this part that we got to we were learning about adam who um whose last name is currently escaping me entirely because i have not read this in a very long time um but basically he's had an issue um, his entire life with being, um, <laughs> sort of, he's, he's just kind of the typical Jobian sort of character, you know, it, it's, it's a very biblical book because it is sort of a Cain and Abel-esque story in multiple generations so that, you know, you have these brothers, um, in the early offing where, you know, 
Adam and I believe his brother's Charles. Um, how am I farting on? See, I call it my favorite book of all times, but I say that because it is uh, my favorite writing in any book because the language is so rich and so beautiful. And by the end of it, the story is just so moving but it and the character so vividly rendered yeah so adam and charles it is two generations of a cain and abel story so that essentially you have these two brothers who are very um adam's very hard working um and i mean they both are but in their own separate ways so that i guess you have you know favored nations on one end and you have the overlooked child on the other but you also have this issue of uh adam getting this wife who is very much um she's trouble she's big time trouble and she ends up you know spoilers but she ends up sleeping with charles and you know ending up sort of revealing her horrible nature and yet he Adam ends up raising the children as his own and it creates a second Cain and Abel story between Cal and Aaron again CNA names and you know they have to come to a reckoning about who their mother is um, about their relationship with their father and uh, this lingering sort of resentment um, I really should reread this I really really should just for my own edification um, here let me go with something far more relevant to us it's Saab, We Did It, by Gunnar Jungström and his pioneers. And for that one, let's go to page 34 and see what we got there. Um, when the development for the Saab 9-2 moved from Linköping to Trollhättan in 1947, several of the previous mentioned key members in the Jungström group also followed the project to Trollhättan to build up the tooling, engineering, and testing departments. The group included a bunch of people whose names I can't pronounce and don't want to try out of fear of disrespecting everybody. However, body engineering manager Eric Storikers returned to Ling Sherping at the end of 1949. Uh, unfortunately, the colleague, along with two other Saab employees, died in a drowning accident when fishing in October 1948. Jungstrom chose the much younger Rolf Melda to take over the activities after this tragedy. The oldest telephone directory for Saab Trohetan available to me is a handwritten copy from 1954. From the writing on the first page, it could actually be older. I've been given this copy of Dick Olson for my use. Okay, that wasn't very illuminating either. So I'm not entirely sure what's happening here. I just know it went a whole lot smoother last week when Brian was reading Walt Whitman. Uh, but I swear, I am going to get this right, even if it kills me, and even if it results in people abandoning this stream in record numbers, because damn it, I am set on this. So let me see. I'm going to get some road and track in here. Don't let me down, page 34. So let's see. That is page 42. Work with me. Work with me. And it's just a random issue. Uh, a decade on from his renegade speed record, Adam Tang has left Afro Duck behind. 
It's Escape from New York by Aaron Brown. No pun intended. Um, it's been almost a decade since Afro Duck became an overnight sensation in car circles. It all started with a 2006 BMW Z4, some reckless driving on the streets of New York City, and a YouTube video. On August 26, 2013, Adam Tang, known by the pseudonym Afroduck, lapped the perimeter of Manhattan in 24 minutes, 7 seconds, breaking the previous record that renegade enthusiasts had set a couple years earlier. News outlets circulated his video of the run, which caught the attention of local authorities, including the New York Police Commissioner's or Police Department's then commissioner, Ray Kelly. About a week after the video was posted, New York PD Highway Patrol detectives had Tang in cuffs. A year and some months following his lap, Afro Duck was convicted of reckless endangerment and reckless driving and sentenced to a year in jail. Only thing is, Tang was already long gone, having escaped to his home country of Canada. For some reason, the prosecutor thought I couldn't walk away. I was like, said Adam Tang. I was like, well, fuck it. I'm out. That was the end of it. Uh... The Z4 was back in Afro Duck's possession. New York authorities had impounded it for three months, and he simply took off. The border crossing was trouble-free, even without Tang's Canadian passport, which he had turned over as a condition of bail. To get home, he just needed his birth certificate and driver's license. As much as I'd love to play it out like a James Bond special, it was really just get in my car, drive north to the border, he says. Tang claims he was subjected to malicious prosecution at the hands of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And, quote, once I started talking to the authorities, it became very evident to me that no matter how nice of a guy you are, they're out for blood. They want to make an example of you, Tang says. That's just how New York City works. Afro Duck says he left his criminal past behind in New York. For good. Though Tang still has his Z4, he describes himself as old now. He mostly drives a Toyota 4Runner, hey, big ups, uh, to navigate through life in Calgary. However, his old rap has not left him alone entirely. Tang says that following his escape, a Canadian police officer paid him a visit. I have a feeling that New York called them, he says. I just talked with the guy. He's like... You know, you have a warrant down in the States, and it's our duty to tell you you've got to get that taken care of. But we're not going to do anything about it. The police attention didn't phase Tang. It's not like I'm some Bernie Madoff and people are going to chase me to the end of the world, he says. Legally, realistically, it's a misdemeanor. It doesn't mean shit. The Manhattan DA's office declined to comment for this story. The aimed. So, yeah. A little bit more relevant, I suppose. Um, I had not heard of Adam Tang before then. Uh, hey, Tony Airlines. Hey, Trent Falkenrath. Uh, so wild to see, like, a profile created over some random character that I made up. That's great. Um, have I read the John Updike Rabbit book series? I have not. Um, and it's funny because I know that... <laughs> It's all about my hometown, mostly, or around about that time frame or, or that area. Um, I do know that the uh, James Con movie was made out of one of the books. Um, I think there is a copy in 
our public library, but even then I'm not entirely sure that there are any other surviving copies. So, which is kind of strange, you know, uh, but meh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, let's see. RCR podcast now transmitting from the international space station. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is basically like space station, potato quality VHS style. Um, I hope the people listening to this on iTunes and Spotify later will be, you know, intrigued enough about this to just go and say, you know, let me, let me look at this, just see how bad this really does look. And then they'll look at it and realize like, oh shit, it really was as bad as he said it was just appearance wise. Um, but knock on wood, we haven't actually had any technical issues either. I did a test stream over on my personal channel, limited time Roman, where I review snack foods with my nephew. Um, and there was a little like snafu hiccup there. Um, but for the most part, we've avoided the customary live stream issues. So now, um, let's move along to, uh, let's see if there's anything in the news, which is possibly the death of live podcasting when you have to go into the news to find something to talk about. Uh, but you know, it's part of the struggle of not being a very interesting person, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. What do you guys want to talk about? I mean, for the most part, it's kind of, uh, this is kind of what the podcast is even when I'm with Brian, you know, cause we don't always know what it is we're going to talk about. Cause not things don't always happen in our lives in a given week. Uh, so that's just kind of, you know, we're just making things up as we're going along. Um, let's see. Let's see. The worst examples of automotive badge engineering ever. See, I'm looking at this, this Jalopnik article about it and realizing that, you know, badge engineering is one of those things that gets overlooked a lot even though i feel like it's always been omnipresent in the auto industry like every i feel like every brand's done it at some point um eh, yeah i don't really know well here let me do this let me look at other things that i was thinking about making videos of um and then kind of abandoned okay so here's one that i was definitely looking at making a video about and you guys can kind of tell me what you think about it um you know, obviously it's secrets between friends of the 50 people who are watching this right now. Um, and if you think I, it's something that I could still do, uh, let me know, but okay. Basically, uh, um, I was thinking of doing a series more or less called, um, RCR investigates where I, it's sort of like a true crime podcast mix, but all automotive themed. And then I realized half the things I wanted to do stories about were already done on a show called auto slash biography. Um, of course they don't own those stories. I could still do them and do them in my own way, but, um, and I will get to those questions like noodles um down there and, and dr claw 77 and um lancer gallant um just remind me uh, but uh 
but I would want to be able to do them in my own particular and singular way so that it's not something that I, um, it's, it's not that I'm feeling like I'm aping another content creator because I want to do things in my own way. But one of the stories that I was thinking of doing, which I don't think many people have done. Well, actually that's not true. There are a lot of videos about it. Um, but I haven't seen many long form videos about it. Like most of the ones that I see are like sub 15 minutes and it is, and this one would be less about the thing that happened and more about the aftermath. So if you've ever heard about it, there was a tragic thing that happened, um, a fatal car crash that took the life of a family in a Lexus ES350. Um, it would, it's the sailor family tragedy. And it's this story, this horrible story about um, this family who they were on their way to the, well, there are conflicting reports of what they were actually on their way to go do, but it was a Friday night and they were going off to either the daughter's soccer practice or to go see a college soccer match. Like it was something soccer related, but the long and short of it is that as they were driving, um, the father, cause it's a father, wife, brother-in-law and the daughter of the family who's like 13 and uh he you know hits on the accelerator and it doesn't stop um it, it doesn't stop accelerating basically it, it it just keeps going it just keeps advancing and the brother-in-law makes his friend a call to 911 and it's such a a lot of times in true crime, there will be 911 calls that make your blood run cold. And then other times there will be calls that are so panicked that it almost sounds normal, which is not to say in any way that it's right um, or that it's anything less than horrifying. But just that the amount of terror, basically the voice doesn't carry the amount of terror that you would think um, would be felt in that moment. But you know that these people were just in the worst point of their lives because I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I, I know that I'm doing that. Um, it's, I mostly ramble because I start talking before I've actually formulated what I want to say. And so I have to, um, I got to organize my thoughts and I don't want there to be any dead air. So let me just talk straight. They are accelerating. The brother-in-law calls 911 says, Hey, this is the road we're on. Um, we're about to crash and, um, or not even that we're about to crash. It's just, we can't slow down and we don't know why. And, basically the father on some hero shit makes sure to steer the car away from other vehicles. And he basically saves the lives of other motorists, but unfortunately and tragically, you know, the, the car does crash 
and unfortunately the family does lose their lives. And um, there's a lot of sort of hemming and hawing back and forth about what exactly caused this. And the leading theory that I saw was that, you know, um, basically this car had the wrong floor mats installed, right? And that by having the wrong floor mats, somehow that this created this weird anomaly that resulted in um, uncontrollable acceleration without being able to brake or stop or anything like that. Um, I have not done all my research yet. I had only started writing it before thinking better of it and coming back and being like, well, is this something I really need to talk about? Like, do we not have enough tragedy on the timeline? You know, like, can't I just find something else to talk about? Because I thought about it for a minute of like, if I were to actually make this video, would I include the 911 call? Um, and thinking about it, like the answer is no. Um, because I wouldn't want to be salacious in that way. And by the same token, it just feels disrespectful to me. Like, even though you can look up YouTube videos, like CNN's report on it includes the call, um, other true crime people, they include the call, but it just feels like in their last moments, I wouldn't want, like, if it were my family, like I wouldn't want it to be that way. And I understand that's the paradox of true crime is that we're getting entertainment or some form of entertainment out of the lowest point in somebody's life. Um, I wish I could actually explain more about this story, but as it stands now, what I told you is about all I know, because after I started researching a little more about it, I thought, well, I'm not the right person to tell this story. And actually talking about it now, I feel like I'm not the right person to tell this story. Um, especially because the family itself, the way that I would tell it by necessity, the family would become less centralized in the story and almost become an afterthought. And I wouldn't want to do that. Um, because really what would it be about is the subsequent lawsuit against Toyota, Lexus, whatever. Um, because the weird thing about it is that this was a fault that, you know, it's debatable. I get, well, I don't even know if it is debatable whether or not this was something that would have been caught ahead of time. But um, the floor mat stuck underneath the accelerator pedal. So um, it went over a hundred miles per hour, uh, went through an intersection at a dead end road, swiped another car, crashed through a fence, jumped over a dirt berm and landed into a riverbed below. This is the um, report by Autoblog. And it was basically that people are trying to figure out whether it was Toyota's fault or if it was the dealership's fault right? And I want to say there was some sort of judgment against Toyota. Actually, let me look that up right here. Um, hmm. All right. I can't find any of that right now just because I shouldn't be doing the double duty while I'm trying to anchor this podcast down. But I mean, hopefully you guys have enough to be able to go look that up on your own. Oh, man, that's such a cop out and telling you to look it up on your own. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have like brought this up at all, but, uh, what was most tragic about this was that the car was a loner car. It wasn't even their car. Um, so I don't know. It's just, I don't know. That's just a crummy story all around. Um, 
but yeah, so the thing, the things I want to answer. All right. So, um, thank you for the car foolery about my 100% Nick written reviews. Um, I don't do them often, but when I do, I'm glad I did, I guess. So I'm glad you enjoyed them. Um, how is your Dr. Claw 77 asked, how is your mom liking the Explorer? Um, yeah, she's still enjoying it as far as I know. Uh, she doesn't, the best compliment that I could possibly give about it or the best update that I could possibly give about it is that she doesn't mention anything about it. <laughs> so the idea being that it's not really troubling her at all. Um, knock on wood. So, so far, so good. Um, Lancer Gallant asks, have you ever watched drive to survive? It's a docuseries made by Netflix and formula one. I haven't watched it. I've heard a lot about it. And in fact, I've heard that it is in some way responsible for the resurgent popularity of formula one. Now, I don't know how true the adjective resurgent is when placed in front of formula one, because to, in my mind, I thought it was always been popular, but I think because of the Netflix show, it's starting to catch on a bit with like casual people who don't really normally watch formula one. So yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should start watching it at some point. Uh, I just don't have as much time as I like. It's just a lot going on in the world of Roman with work and, uh, you know, holidays coming up, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> noodles. Oh, but thank you for the question. Um, noodles. Uh, do you have all of your RCR song lyrics available anywhere? Um, no, I do not. Um, the only song lyrics I have available is if you go to the RCR Bandcamp page, uh, every release of mine that's on there has the lyrics on the respective song page. Uh, but as far as like the weekly parodies, which I mean, I haven't done them in a while. This past week's video or Monday's video has been the exception. Um, and but for the most part, it's like, you know, I, I just... Uh, it's very time consuming to do the songs, even though you wouldn't think it would be, but for me it is. And so that's why I don't do them as often anymore. And I'm reserving them for sort of uh, special occasions. Uh, what else? Second question. Uh, who do you feel replaced Saab as the new over-engineered brand? Um, part of me kind of wants to say Kia, but they don't have that sort of inventiveness that Saab had. What reminds me of Saab is that underdog mentality, right? Because Kia is never going to, in my mind, Kia is never going to be like top dog or even like mid dog. They're just always going to be below the mainstream in that they have a reputation that's increasingly difficult or that has always been difficult to overcome because people aren't ready to hear about Kia's potentially being anything other than garbage. Um, and now see, I don't know how right or wrong that is. I've owned a Kia. I owned a Kia Rio. I didn't mind it. It was fine. It was, it had no power steering. It was from 2008. Didn't have power steering. Um, anything wrong with that car was my fault. I can't even blame the car. You know, it's not even a build quality thing. It's I got it for $1,200 and I burned out the clutch in a year. So what am I really going to say about it? Um, I know Brian, he seems to be enjoying his Kia Niro. I know we'll review it at some point and then we'll talk more in depth about it. But for now, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, hmm. 
I don't know. Uh, let's see. Carfoolery, $5. You have always been positive throughout your time with RCR. It feels like since 2020, Brian hates doing RCR like it's purely just a paycheck. Well, I mean, I can't answer that for him, but I know that he's grateful to be doing it because he's told me as much, you know, because the alternative is like, I know what the alternative is. It's like the, just the standard nine to five and all respect in the world to everybody who does those standard nine to fives, because, you know, it's something that is something that I don't know that I have the strength to do, which is kind of a weird thing to say. I'm not saying like if RCR went away tomorrow that I would just sit around and not have a job. It's that I would try and find something. I don't even know what I'd do. And that's the thing. I mean, I would figure it out as I go along the same way that like I figured things out as I went along here, you know? Uh, I don't know. This is why I'm always so grateful and I suppose positive in that way, because I recognize at an intellectual level that none of this had to happen for me, that I live a very charmed life, a very blessed life for no other reason that I've just been lucky. And yes, I did work hard once I got lucky, but I still needed to get lucky. It, RCR had to take off when it did. I, I had to decide, hey, I'm going to apply for this writing job with an entertainment blog that allowed me to get a couple years where I really enjoyed just writing about television for a little bit. Um, and I understand that luck is not forever, um, that good things in general aren't forever because life is not forever. <laughs> but I'm a very present-minded person. I don't like thinking about anything other than the moment because it's something that is very important to me in terms of mental and emotional wellness. It's understanding that maybe I don't always have control over everything in my life, but I take charge of the things that I do. And I find worry even though I do do a lot of it, a lot of it over things that don't matter. I do a lot of worrying, but I recognize over time that worrying adds nothing to anything. So if I were to think about, you know, sort of worst case scenario type things, it's like, okay, you could worry about it, but what are you actually going to do to change anything about it? And if the answer is nothing, then it's a useless worry because it means you don't have any control. And if you don't have any control, why are you going to worry about something you have no control over? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just useless. And so I'm not sure, um, why I got on that, but, um, yeah, I, 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 let's see. I know the original goal of the channel was to look at relatively normal cars, but what are your thoughts when the only thing notable about the car is its engine? Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Um, well, see, the thing is that, like, in terms of uh, of what I understood was the point, I suppose, oh, oh sorry, <laughs> of the channel, um, the point of the channel was always sort of like a parody of pre-existing automotive, like, YouTube shows, or not YouTube shows, but, like, any 
automotive show, like even on TV, because Brian had a lot of, um, and I don't want to speak for him, but I'm just mostly restating what he said in previous um, media is that like, it's mostly, he had a lot of animus built up and had some, uh, some feelings that he had to sort of get out of him. And this was a way to sort of channel that subversive energy. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm just like incredibly always been in awe of his ability to distill the essence of a car into some, into some like singular pithy remark, because he can do that without having to sit there and think for like a half hour before he can come up with something funny. I have to actually sit and think about what I'm going to say. That's actually funny. Um, or insightful in any meaningful way. Brian's like, Brian's a smarter guy between the two of us. I have no problem saying that. Um, and so I'm all, I've always, I always have been impressed and always will be impressed with his ability to do what he does. And, um, like, obviously I'm good at what I do too. I, I don't want to throw myself under the bus, but I understand that a lot of what works about RCR is the fact that like, even if it is something where the only thing different is, uh, the engine, I know for a fact that Brian can think of like 20 different things to say about that car, even with cars that we've done before. I know for fact, for facts that, you know, well, I mean, this Monday's video, like that's a fact that we had already done a Trans Am before. And Brian and I were still able to work together to find different things to say about it because it's almost like the car is immaterial to, or it's subordinate to what it is we want to say in the first part, the first place. So, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Um, the one Kia, uh, KEA, uh, good evening. Roman, in your professional professional opinion as a content reviewer, will the award shows for YouTube content like the Streamies ever achieve the cultural cachet of the Emmys or even the Oscars? Absolutely not. Um, they won't even achieve the cultural cachet of the MTV Awards. Um, so, uh, and that's not for, I mean, I don't think they're trying to be that, but they do want to get, I know they want to get celebrities and stuff to be in on that, but I mean, would it be, I don't think, I don't know. Like, I know for a fact that it's not going to be that popular. Like it's never going to reach that level of, you know, cultural penetration. So, um, but I think it's great that there's an awards platform to recognize creators. The problem is that when it becomes biggest creator wins which is true with like emmys and oscars except i don't know emmys and oscars both they both have content that not a lot of people have heard of whereas i find like with streamies or webbies it's usually like the david dobricks of the world or whoever shane dawson i can't think of youtubers right now um but that seems to be the type of people who show up in those things um Let's see. Clay Ben Treese. Oh, noodles. Thank you for the 99 cents. Appreciate it. Um, and the shit emoji. That's great. Uh, let's see. Clay Ben Treese Jr. $5. 
what is your opinion of the 1972 to 1993 Dodge DW series trucks? All right, I'm going to copy paste this into Google just to uh, be sure that it is in fact the series of trucks that I'm thinking of because I don't want to be talking out of school and it's not letting me copy paste. Uh, 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 uh. I sound like a struggle elf right now. DW series, DW series trucks. Um, let's see. Yeah, they are the ones I'm thinking of. I, I was thinking, are these like the Final Fantasy VII looking trucks? Um, and yeah, they are. They look like the trucks when you that you have to get in to uh, escape the Shinra building, um, which by you know. Uh, <laughs> ends up answering spin faster's question which is what are your favorite childhood video games uh final fantasy 7 is the answer for that for all time um basically i would be a completely different person without that game um possibly a more adult person who knows uh i mean as far as these trucks go i've never been a big truck guy um but i understand why they're popular and i understand why people um love them and i don't think every part of it is a power fantasy i think some of it is that you know aside from the utility of using it to for work purposes or for hauling purposes that are outside of work there is a sense of communion with the road in a way that you don't necessarily get with like say a sedan or even a muscle car because realistically it sounds very pretentious to say communion with the road. Um, but what I really mean by it is that a pickup truck almost encourages you to be engaged with the surrounding area. It's like when I drive, I'm very much focused on the road. Um, knock on wood that that doesn't come back to bite me. Um, but I'm not actually engaged with like the feeling of being on the road. You know what I mean? Like if that makes any sense, am I making sense? It's that like, I don't feel necessarily like, Oh, you know, the sun on my face and Oh, the long stretch of beautiful open road. You know, I'm usually just trying to get somewhere and maybe that's sad, but it's the truth. Um, but in a pickup truck, it's kind of like, there's just this spatial awareness even though you're in this huge thing that almost encourages you not to have spatial awareness, but I don't know, maybe I'm giving pickup trucks way too much credit, but I've always had that kind of respect for them, all things considered, but that doesn't mean that I would necessarily want to own one. Although I understand why people like them and why people specifically like these models of trucks, because they do seem a bit like more personal if that makes any sense. Like, not that they were necessarily small trucks or anything like that, um, because they there were some that had some pretty long beds, uh, but that it just feels like more of a daily driver, if that makes any sense. So I hope I'm explaining myself well. I have every expectation that I'm really not, but uh, yeah. Um, thank you for the question. M, $5. What's the story of how you and Brian met? So, um, oh, hi, Spencer. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Brian and I met in grad school um, in Kutztown University. 
Pennsylvania. Um, and it was a thing where like I had just started grad school. Um, I don't recall if Brian had just started too, or if he had already been there, but basically it, it was in a middle English class that we were taking. Um, and he was basically the only person there that I felt comfortable talking to because he's one of the only, there was one other guy named like either Gary or Greg who I felt comfortable talking to, but for the most part, it was just them and Brian because that's like, I, I don't know how to, uh, I pick up on other people's energy. So I don't feel like I'm going to be the one who necessarily becomes the life of the party in the minute I get there. It's that I pick up vibes from other people and, adjust based on that um and so i guess like brian was someone who i felt like was the closest to me like the type of person that i could talk to um and so we became friends uh he uh like we went out drinking he came to one of my open mics uh, i wrote on the back of his uh I want, moped I think, no, I don't think it was a moped. Sorry. My brain is just farting right now. Um, but he was the cool guy on the motorcycle in grad school. And so, yeah, I, I thought he was really cool. Um, looked up to him like a, an older brother still kind of do. Cause he's very much like, you know, someone who is, I guess in terms of being an adult, he's way better at it than I am. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, that's more or less the story. And then, um, Brian went to go teach in Alaska for five months. And when he came back, uh, he's one of the first calls he made more or less was to me about wanting to go get coffee. And when we were going there, we would write about or not write about, we would rip on like cars that were driving by. And before long, he had this radio show at Kutztown university about cars. And so he's like, Hey, you want to be on it? And so I would come on and be a guest every now and then. And we, I'd bring like a copy of the auto trader and we'd uh, rip on cars that were in the auto trader. And then before long, once he started doing RCR and felt like he wanted to do it more than it's just a hobby, he asked me if I wanted to write with him. And this was just like, like immediately after the Miata video. And so I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do it. That sounds like fun. And so I mean, the first video that I wrote for RCR or co-wrote for RCR rather um, was the Dodge Avenger, which, you know, RIP in peace. And that's something where, uh, yeah, that that's kind of the story. Um, yeah, he's he's just so fucking smart, that dude. Um, but yeah, that's the RCR story. Uh Boy, it would be nice if you folks came back to Toronto. I'm still kicking my backside for when you guys came down for that car show. Car show. Yeah. Um, I, I miss Toronto. It's a nice place, a very lovely place. And we were so, felt so welcome. Um, I wish in some regard that we could do car shows. Uh, again, I understand why we can't. Aside from the, you know, Rona concerns, which, I mean, they're still there. Uh, is that they're taxing on Brian in a way that they aren't on me because, and I don't mean this to disparage myself, but people don't care about me as much as they care about Brian, which is to say that if we go to a car show, like we're not, if we're not even the ones organizing it, we're just saying like, Hey, we're going to be at this car show, blah, 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 blah. And you know, this is your chance to like, come say hi, whatever. People are going to follow Brian around. They're not going to follow me around. 
like people will say hi to me. They'll, they might, you know, come say, Hey, shake my hand or selfie, which I love doing and get our sign things, whatever. But for Brian, it's like, they're going to follow him around a lot. And I know that it takes a lot. Uh, Brian wants everyone to have a good experience meeting him. And so that results in him needing to be on a lot. And he's talked about this in past podcasts too, about just the toll it takes to be on. Um, I, I mean, cause Mr. Regular in some ways is a character. Well, I mean, not in some ways, but it is a character that he plays. And a lot of people are expecting Mr. Regular when, you know, Brian's a guy worth having around too, you know? And I know intellectually, a lot of people are like, you don't have to be Mr. Regular. Like we accept Brian. We just want to like, come see you, come hang out with you. But it's one thing to like be able to say that and another thing to know it intellectually. You know what I mean? But thank you for the question. Um, I know you love cars, but you don't seem to like power speed performance. Could you expand on what it is about cars that you like, even as a kid? So, um, here's the thing. Um, I like cars because they represent freedom because I didn't have a lot of that growing up, which is to say, it wasn't because of how I was raised. I had the most wonderful childhood, the most wonderful family. Um, if anything, I treated them like shit because I was a very angry teenager and it was because I hated myself and viewed myself as this just enormous loser and took that out on my family because they couldn't leave. Like they, it's like you're you have it drilled in your head like your family has to love you so they become almost like your metaphorical punching bag you're not literally punching them but you're like taking out all of your bullshit on them and that's not fair to do under any sort of at any age teenager or not you know what i mean um but i was just a very angry person and i couldn't afford a car and i didn't have a car and so I, I was on medication for anxiety and I was on such a high dosage that, you know, I could not legally drive. And so it was a thing that I thought like, well, maybe I'll never get to drive. And, you know, through therapy, through hard work, through sort of introspection and the willingness to move past the limitations of my anxiety, the limitations of my own self-loathing, that I was able to sort of attain this normalcy, this baseline where I felt like things are possible for me now. I feel like I have mobility. And the biggest marker of mobility would have been a car. It would have been the mark, that mark of freedom, you know, which I didn't feel like I had, which I didn't feel like I deserved, you know, because I was limiting myself. I was the one denying myself my own freedom. Well, that and anxiety and self-loathing, all that stuff, but and that and money too, because I couldn't afford a car. And then, uh, Brian and I wrote for, um, and, well, I started loving cars long before I met Brian. It's just one of those things where like, I still wanted my own one that was in my own name. What I loved about them was that freedom. What I loved about them was the appearance. And also what I loved about them was the fact that it is a substitution for the home in creating that warm feeling. The, the feeling that you get when you're at home 
happens in a car, but also you're, you're heading somewhere. You're not stationary. You're taking home with you. It is the feeling of a safe space that follows you that, that you can take with you. Um, and that for everybody, that space is different, that no two cars are exactly the same. Um, after they become inhabited by someone. And that's what I love about them because they represent different aspects of who we are and they can represent and reflect those aspects back at us so that so much of our personality is put into our car, but also so much of our hopes and, and needs are in a car because we need them to take us to where we need to go. But also and it's a very, it probably is a very pretentious point to make, but also there is a feeling of wholeness that a car creates in a person when you feel like you, your life is sort of normalizing, you know, like when I'm without my car, when Betty's in the shop, I don't feel whole, <laughs> like it's weird. I, I, I miss my car and you know, once I get her back, I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. Got it back. I, I'm, I, I can go places again. I can do things again. It's just like, I don't have to rely on other people for rides. Um, and if I had to like, okay, fine, whatever. But it's wanting to maintain a level of, of freedom of safety of oneness, if that makes any sense. So it doesn't matter to me how fast the car goes. It doesn't matter to me how, um, how great the handling is, as long as a car is safe and as long as it advances, I like it. Um, now there are degrees to which I will like something obviously, uh, but I don't know that I could bring myself to truly hate a car. Um, there aren't many things that I truly hate anyway. I mean, Okay, I hate it when people say Reese's Pieces because it's like, who, what made you think? Like, I don't care if that's how Meemaw pronounced it. You sound ridiculous. And I say that with love, knowing that there are probably people watching this who say Reese's Pieces and had grandmothers who said Reese's Pieces. Sorry, it's just me being dumb. Don't listen to me. Don't take anything I say seriously. I'm being dumb. Uh, but that just, it's one of those pet peeves that I'm just like, but I would never correct somebody in person if they said it. Um, my, it's just like, I've run into people in the past week who say it that way. I don't even care. Um, let's see. How long have you owned red, uh, spin faster ass? How long have you owned red Betty? Um, hypothetically what kind of car would you be looking at if you had to replace it i love the new edge staying so I drove one for years i have not thought that far ahead and i really should brian uh sent me a, an impressive list of options that are affordable eminently so um but i really should look into it more because i don't really know how much longer red betty has i almost feel like you know every extra month I get with her as a gift, you know, not because she's necessarily in a bad way, but because I do, she's a daily, I drive her hard. I don't like, there's no way for me to keep miles off of her. I need to drive this car every day. And I drive it through not entirely forgiving terrain because I live in Pennsylvania where PennDOT is what PennDOT is. 
<laughs> um, let's see. The one KEA, um, Mr. Regular is publicly acknowledged that he will not make any further episodes of the Witch Cars Best Car series. Are you also stopping your Roman attends a car show series? Um, no, it's always been a thing of like, I, I, I don't, I feel like I don't have the opportunity to make them really all that much. Um, I didn't know Brian was going to uh, like stop doing those videos altogether. I just thought he wasn't going to go to another New York auto show after this past year because it's all the same stuff. But um, it's just, there aren't as many car shows in my area that I actually want to go to. And then once I get there, there's nothing I actually want to say about it because part of me is like, I should, we should do more of those just because it's discoverable content that you can just, show to somebody and it's whatever um but also we're at the end of car show season so i mean barring us just going to a parking lot you know it's, eh. and also it's like a different thing where it's harder to be clandestine about doing it so that maybe when we're trying to be discreet it doesn't really come across that well <laughs> um knife techs 499. I just wanted to drop a line and say how much I enjoy the channel for both of y'all's contributions, your AMC video being amongst my favorites. Well, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, uh, yeah, it was a blast uh, to do the RCR stories and to have them be received as well as they have been. Um, it recently, the AMC video recently crossed 2 million views and I am so, uh, so grateful for everyone who's watched it. Sorry, I got a real fart coming. Uh, there we go. Good. Um, safety. But yeah, it's it's something that um, I'm, I'm, I just want to keep doing them until the wheels fall off. Um, but yeah, why was the New York car show the last one? Are they not worth it too difficult to get to or the other? Well, I mean, I'm, I'll still probably go if I get the chance because I enjoy going just because I like conventions. But um, especially on press days where it's like, you don't have to deal with a whole lot of other people. It's mostly closed to the public. Um, but yeah, the, uh, it had nothing to do with that. It was just, um, Brian doesn't really think it's worth it because they're not really that interesting. And most of the major automakers aren't really even going anymore. Like, I don't think I forget if BMW was there or I know Tesla wasn't there. And so it got the feeling and even the major automakers that did go there put on relatively small displays. And so that you get the feeling of a 25 year high school reunion where the popular kids don't go anymore. Like they went to the five year, the 10 year started weaning at the 15 year or waning rather uh, scatter shot at the 20 year, but at 25, it's like, okay, we're over it. Um, oh, Tesla was never there eh, and all the Germans skip, but VW. Yeah. Sounds about right. Um, so yeah, content idea, review all the corporate press videos and reveals like GMC EV tomorrow. Um, mm, that is a possibility. Um, it seems like something we can make a video on for the second channel and talk about that in that context. Um, let's see. I feel like there were other things that I could have reasonably brought up in terms of like topics and stuff. I know I wanted to do a video on like a list of cursed cars, even though it ends up being sort of a listicle, which I don't know that anyone actually enjoys listicles. 
<laughs> but whatever, here we are. Um, let's see. Uh, but yeah. Uh, sorry, I think I'm, my stamina is starting to starting to wane as I go back to the term wane. Ugh. Man, my stamina is not what it used to be. Uh, title of my sex tape. Let's see. Uh, what do people haul in the bed of their truck? What don't people haul in the bed of their truck? I was stuck bef behind a truck on the way back from filming one day where, and this is a major highway, where a guy just had like his three golden retrievers in the back. Like, or they, they just, one popped the head up. I'm like, oh, there's a dog in the back of the truck. Another popped its head up. I'm like, oh, uh, oh. And then the third one pops down. I'm just like, okay, we're in, we're on, you know, redneck time or whatever, um, which is fine. You know, do you. Uh, but, yeah, I guess they were in the part of the highway where you're probably not going on major speed there. So I'm sure the dogs are fine, but it's not something I would do or recommend anybody do. So, yeah. Um, huh. I've been going one hour, 24 minutes and 45 seconds. So I will go for another um, five minutes, let's say, as, and start wrapping it up. Um, cause I have to use the bathroom <laughs> and I don't want to leave dead air. So, uh, let's see the one KEA, uh, the RCR stories are stupendous. Thank you. Uh, will you ever sell physical media copies of the RCR story audio? Nope. Just going to put it up for free on iTunes and Spotify. So you can go and check them out there. Everyone's up there. Uh, every episode. Uh, I mean, you'll have to search for it, but you know, eh. um, Baz. So how are you enjoying Andor? Uh, I haven't started watching it yet. Actually waiting for it to finish airing because and waiting for maybe like the holidays when I might have a lot more vegging around time. Um, Lancer Galant, Nick, how would, or would you do a car project if, when you have to replace red Betty? Uh, no, I live in an apartment building and so I don't really have, well, not really. I don't period have garage space and you know uh brian's is a two-car garage so it's already filled and so I, I don't i wouldn't impose that burden on anyone of just like hey can i store my project car at your place uh when will it be done i don't know um but also because i have no idea how to work on cars <laughs> um i am functionally inadequate in that realm i changed my alternator once and that was with help from a better car guy than me. Uh, the guy whose C8 Corvette we did, um, James, great guy. Um, and even that, like the easiest thing in the world was still hard. Like, I'm just not a car uh, mechanic type person. But yeah, um, a CD set of the RCR stories would be fun to add to my CD collection. Um, wow, I never thought about it that way. I mean, maybe if I could like remaster the audio in some way or make it sound crisper and cleaner so that not every single episode has such wildly varying audio quality. But also the problem with putting it on a CD is that some of those RCR stories are like over two hours. Um, and so, you know, one RCR story will just be one CD. Oh, you said CD set not as in one CD. So it would be like multiple CDs. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, when you guys are searching submissions for car- Jake H asks, when you guys are searching submissions for cars to review, what causes you to expand the radius for further and further cars? Understandably, most are PA, but you seem to pull from New Jersey and New York often also. Uh, thank you for the question. And strangely enough, we did a car from New Jersey today. Uh, but um, it's all it's proximity, but also it is um, interest, right? So that if it's something a that we can't get here b that someone is allowing us to go full negative on um c that we um i don't know like if it's something super extraordinary rare uh we will travel for it i would imagine but the problem is is that then it has to become a trip and something that we have to do more um logistics for to, in order to make that trip profitable so that if we're, you know, say flying to LA or something, or not LA, but because that's too far. Um, hmm. Like if we were to go to, here's an example. Like for Georgia, when we went to go for do it with Dan. Um, yes, we reviewed the Pontiac Le Mans there, but we also did other stuff. We did, you know, the go karting stuff. We did. It's just a way to make the trip um produce as much for us as it possibly can um and so to travel it has to be something rare um or something that we can't get here in good enough condition and want to make a video about it because something that's avoided pennsylvania roads and all the rust and all the craziness and all that um and the weather you know um if you could hotbox any car what would it be um hmm that's a good question. I'm sorry. I would need time to think about that. Um, uh, maybe next podcast I can answer that. I'm sorry to cop out. My brain is leaving me. Uh, I have that. Let, let's see. Oh, it's Matto saying I have that tool buying addiction. Eh, well, you know, worse addictions to have. Um, Jake H. Oh, I meant more. When do you call folks to drive to you versus just pull from local options? Well, I mean, we always give people the option of driving to us, but it's also a thing where, you know, a lot of the submissions, like if we get a submission from Arizona where, and it's something really interesting, we're not going to tell them to drive to us. That's just, we wouldn't make someone drive that far. Um, but yeah. Uh, Nomad Ben. Hey, Roman, I hope everything is going well. Everything's going great. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm happy. Life is good. Um, thank you for the well wishes. Lancer Galan, final question. Best PS1 game ever. I'm sticking by Final Fantasy VII, although you can make a case for Xeno Gears. You can make a case for Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, any one of those, really? Uh, I'm... Uh, I, I'm like that 97, 98 era of video games is just like, it was magic for me. So yeah. Um, it's always going to be like something from that time period for me. Uh, anything else? Um, Let's see. Armored core, man. That was amazing. My antenna in my first apartment isn't working. Uh, best of luck on that. All right. So I've done a good 90 minutes, hour and a half, however you want to call it. Um, so I am going to wrap this up. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with me tonight. Um, I know this is kind of spontaneous spur of the moment thing. Um, but 
I appreciate you guys watching the show, um, supporting us on Patreon, supporting us by watching and sharing the videos. Wow. I have a really big hand in this camera. Um, and yeah, this channel does not exist. Well, RCR and regular and Roman don't exist without you guys. And you allow us through your, you know, the podcast donations, the sort of the, the, the super chats, the Patreon, the giveaways, all the stuff, the views, the shares, everything. You guys are allowing us to exist as a much bigger channel than we are. And without that support, I don't know that we'd ever be able to grow to the place that we've been. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, thank you for hanging out. I, I, uh, big channel, big flannel. I actually took off the flannel like about half hour to an hour ago because it was getting too hot and boxy in here. So yeah, thanks for hanging out. Maybe we'll do this again sometime and I'll have a little bit more to talk about that is less scattershot. And, um, yeah, until next time I am Nick or the Roman, um, and this will be up on iTunes or Spotify before the end of the week. Just depends on me being able to actually get it edited and put up. Uh, but for now, um, yeah, just have a great week, everyone. That's all. Just have a great week. Uh, be good to each other. Be good to the, yourselves. And I don't know. Drive on. Uh, I can't think of a sign off. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>